The number one permaculture designer in the world about to join us in just a few moments. Of course, I'm talking about none other than Jeff Lawton. We're going to be talking about permaculture in strange times. And I probably don't have to tell this audience what we mean by strange times. We're talking about, you know, the Great Reset, the pandemic, uh, the, the entire situation that we're in, uh, in a world that seems to be teetering on environmental catastrophe and teetering on real likely food shortages in our future. And Jeff's here to talk to us about all of that today, the impact it's had on permaculture, requests for designs and consultancies, um, and the answers that permaculture has to this. As I did a show on Tuesday, and I talked about how what permaculture really is, is systems thinking-based design along with troubleshooting. Here's how we want to design a system, and when something's not working, here's how we figure out what's wrong with it and we correct it. That's, that's really the essence of permaculture as a discipline. It is a design science, and design sciences entail troubleshooting because no matter what you design, it goes back to almost a military-level thing. No battle plan survives contact with the enemy. Uh, This show comes out a little bit later in the day than is typical because Jeff's in Australia right now, and, of course, that creates a major time discrepancy between us. It's actually tomorrow where he is in pretty early in the morning, uh, so we'll get him on right away. I, I have a quote of the day for you guys today. I've screwed up this week. I was up great quotes of the day for you guys the last couple of days, and I forgot to actually include them. I'm not forgetting this time uh, because my quote of the day is by Jeff Lawton. And I don't know that I've ever had the opportunity to have a quote of the day by the person that is the guest. I, I know I've had quotes of the day by previous guests, uh, not a lot, but a few times. But I think it'll be really interesting to lead this interview off with Jeff by throwing his own quote at him and seeing how he responds to it. With that, let's go ahead and welcome to the Survival Podcast, I should say back to the Survival Podcast, Good friend, expert council member, and badass permaculture designer, Jeff Lawton. Hey, Jeff, man, welcome back to the Survival Podcast. Oh, thank you. It's great to be here. You know, Jeff, I, uh, I usually start the show out with a quote of the day. And I don't think I've ever had the opportunity to actually have the person who I'm quoting on the show that I'm doing the quote. And I have the opportunity to do that today. And I, I think you'll like this. This came from a tweet or a social media post you did somewhere. And it started a whole, it started a whole storm of people that didn't actually read anything going nuts about it. And you, you, you actually were uncharacteristic and a little bit of prov provocation afterwards. But I've, I've heard you make similar statements before. And I just wanted to give you the chance to comment on this as we lead off today. Uh, you said, I have no political agenda at all and prefer the definition of permaculture design to be sedition, as did my permaculture teacher, Bill Mollison. 
You, you want to just throw a little comment out about what you were talking about when you said that? <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> well, the first time I heard Bill talk about this was when um, he had to represent permaculture in the English court of law um, because uh, there was a, uh, a community in England uh, that found a loophole for settling rural land, which normally you can't settle. Um, and there was a loophole in the uh, European Union that said if you were you were settling land in a sustainable way, if you were using land in a sustainable way, and you could define the sustainability, then you could you could settle on rural land. So this community in the west of England in Somerset settled this land and, and used permaculture as its argument. And then the English Court of Law defined permaculture as um, subsistence agriculture. Well, of course, it's not subsistence. It creates abundance, not just subsistence. So uh, it was challenged. And uh, we had lawyers and different people within the movement will always help. Um, people have done the permaculture design certificate with their, their life skills come forward to help if there's a situation like this. But it eventually got to the point where Bill had to represent permaculture and went to the uh, high court in London uh, to represent permaculture and brought forward the challenge as the founder uh, and, and proved that it's not subsistence, it's absolute abundance. And, um, and they decided to define permaculture as a design science. And um, there's Bill stood in the high court and the big judge there talks over to Bill and he says, well, we've, Mr. Mollison, we've defined permaculture as a design science. Um, it, it, does that sit well with you? And, and Bill <laughs> looked across at the judge. Well, Your Honour, it'll do, but I would have preferred sedition. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> and, and, and in other words, we don't need a person like you to tell us what to do. We don't need authority to tell us what to do. The natural system itself defines how we should behave, and the consequences are rather obvious. So you don't need the law of the land. You don't need any judge telling you how to define a system that is self-defined by the natural orders of the universe itself. There's no, there's no law that says we're going to change the way the universe works or the way nature works or the way ecosystems function. They're, they're self-determining systems. So... Um, when you approach it from that point of view, we don't need authority to work with nature. We don't need authority to, 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 to decide how things function because it's already, it's already decided for us, right? What we can do is facilitate extremely creative events that are, that are, that are uh, as efficient as, as any living event can be. And, and the ultimate achievement would be to improve on nature itself. Uh, and, and that comes across as, as sedition because no law right, predicts that that's what we should do or tells us that's how we should behave. And, and they probably should be. Yeah. I, uh, kind of expanding on that, my, my thought on that is it actually makes me think of, of Gandhi's walk to the sea where, you know, he, mm. his assertion was that the ability to make, because that all started over taxation on salt and, a law that forbid the Indian people from making salt, which had gone back millennia, you know, as long as 
as long as people knew, hey, if you dry salt, if you, if you evaporate salt water, you get salt, the people of India had done that, and they made it illegal. And I, I would say that things like being able to produce your own food, provide your own shelter, take care of your neighbor, all of that stuff are, are as fundamental a human right as could possibly exist. Like, there's nothing more fundamental than... You know, the prime directive, taking care of yourself and, and that of your children, you know, seeing to the, the future of your children. And a lot of what is put in place today in the world of regulation interferes with that. And when I look at what permaculturists have done all over the world, they've either figured out how to, to operate within the restrictions of the state with clever design or just did it to hell anyway And that is seditious in that it is in direct defiance of what a judge or a court or a, a state official or anybody says to do. But yet, it, it's not defiance for the purpose of defiance, right? So, like, if you go out and steal somebody's stuff, there's an, that's ethically wrong in addition to being a crime, right? But you could have something that's legal and it's immoral, and you could have something that's illegal, but yet it's inherently moral. Using a, a plant to medicate yourself, if it's helpful, is totally moral, but it might be illegal. Or building a structure that heats itself and cools itself might not meet building codes, but what could be more ethical than doing that? And, and so to me, that is also very seditious, and it takes a word that's been used to vilify people and even to execute people And it turns it into something positive, with, which is we will see to our needs and that of our children. Yeah. I mean, what the judge left off was ethical design science ah. because uh, yeah. <laughs> they're, they're, they're not dealing with ethics. So ethics centers everything. So if you've got ethical design science as a, as a very concise definition of what permaculture is, um, then you're getting, you're getting very close to the mark. I mean, most of these um, most of these Uh, rules and regulations that can't be policed uh, really can't easily p be policed because um, they're they're ridiculous. Mm -hmm. I mean, we we could be taxed to breeze. I mean, how are you going to measure it? I mean, <laughs> the, the fact that we can't we can't collect our own rainwater because they seem to think we're using the rainwater and, it, and, it, and it's going somewhere. Um, <laughs> the only place it's going is is through bars, sinks, and people's bodies and coming out as an improved. Um, liquid for the environment. Um, it's like a lot of vegans tell you that it takes 10,000 gallons of water to raise one kilo of beef. Where do you think the water goes on the way through the cow and out the other end? I mean, it, um, it's the same water enhanced as a, as a substance called urine, which directed correctly is, is, is wonderful for the environment and improves life systems downstream. But it does need to be designed and doesn't need to be ridiculous you know it doesn't need to turn into a toxin so you know with ethics uh we don't have those toxin toxic results um because the ethics are that we care for the environment and care for people and and don't accumulate surplus even in things like urine you know um it, it, it's just these arguments are quickly nullified if you if you apply common sense design uh, centered on ethics so, um, yeah, it kind of disempowers, in a lot of ways, it disempowers um, the governments, it disempowers the authorities, um, and it points out that, you know, really, 
and the rules are already set for us in 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 the natural orders and um it's only uh, unethical behavior that needs to be policed agreed man i it it uh it makes me think of one time bill i remember in one of his lectures said something the effect of the definition of pollution is an unused surplus And we're going to create abundance. So then something has to be done with that surplus. It has to be channeled. It has to be reinvested. I, I actually really don't like the term redistribute surplus because a lot of surplus must go back to what produced it if you're going to create sustainable or regenerative systems. If I take away all surplus from a landform, I, I'm, I'm basically strip mining that landform. So returning that surplus, utilizing, yeah. channeling that surplus is what turns surplus from a pollution or an irrational accumulation into something that actually yeah. not only returns, it actually multiplies itself. Like, if you properly manage water on a system, you have more, not less water. for And not just on your land, but downstream of your land. Yeah. Yeah, and in, often in an improved state, going in, in, in a more uh, and a more passive rate, a more usable rate. Mm -hmm. So um, time comes into systems where energy spends more time within systems, and therefore it can be used more often. Um, so you, yeah, you, you, the whole thing starts to spin into a creative event, you know, as we apply the right design. So you, 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 you. Your waste-rich streams really are unused resources, and they just become a design challenge, and um, and and that takes away the, the the need for the regulators because it just means you've got to refine design more and more and improve it and, and in, in so improve the result. Gotcha. So hey, let's talk about these strange times we're in. We've got. One of the oddest times in history, I guess is the way I could put it, between COVID, the government's response to COVID, which seems far worse to COVID than me, we've got ecological situations going on. We, we're also in what I consider like the, the, the greatest period of flux in shifting technologies that any living human will ever see, I think are occurring right now and will for over the next 20 years. And I've, I said that about the 20s and 30s, 12 years ago, I was saying this would be that time. With all of that together, how is that affecting life at Zatuna Farm, for instance, where you where you live and call home? <laughs> well, for us on the ground living here, we wouldn't even know anything was going on um, <laughs> as far as, you know, our, our systems, um, apart from the fact there hasn't been, at times, there hasn't been many people here. Um, but the systems themselves continue Um, and um, we've reduced the amount of annual crops and things like that because um, we've averaged 30 people on site for the last few years, and uh, we've more or less um, produced 30,000 meals a year, 1,000 meals per person per year, um, and at times there's only been three or four of us here. Mm. Um, I was actually for the first time ever working on my own out on the landscape. I, I re-fenced. Um, 15 paddocks because uh, 44 cells for cell grazing uh, wasn't something that was going to function with a few of us here. Um, many, many things here have been set up to um, demonstrate and educate for people 
just for the sake of them experiencing things. So with nobody here, um, that's very inefficient. So I had to, I had to re, rescale things a bit. Um, but, um, uh, the inquiry rate uh, has exploded. Um, the inquiry rate in our direction has exploded and the interest for people to move into uh, rural settings and out of cities, um, the amount of people, particularly professionals, who are moving out of, of, of town, moving out of cities and want consultancies on land to buy um, and even with no experience whatsoever um, has, has been absolutely unusual. I mean, it's more than we've ever seen. Um, and, and luckily, people are prepared to take consultancies online. And at the same time, um, we've been um, we've had great advancement in lidar mapping and mapping systems. So I've been working with uh, uh, Ben Missimer from uh, Pearl River Design in, in Mississippi. Um, so I've, I've been working internationally with someone in America from Mississippi. Ben, ben Missum is a student of mine, and he developed uh, mapping systems that we've cooperated on uh, to provide consultancy at a distance. So instead of me traveling all over the world to consultancies, I'm online most days in all sorts of places. Yesterday I was in Siberia um, talking to somebody and 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 then I was in the Canary Islands, um, and then I was in Nicaragua, all in one day. Um, and I'm looking at properties in great detail with satellite mapping, um, GS, GIS, lidar, and we've developed our own maps. So that's all evolved out of this event. Um, and everybody finds it like the new normal to be talking online, uh, to be consulting online. But um, so um, surprisingly. Surprisingly, uh, we did uh, open up here to uh, a face-to-face PDC in November, and it filled. But uh, more than 85% were people from New South Wales, from this state. And um, there was a few from Queensland, which is not far away. They got over the border because we have state border restrictions. And the rest were just one or two people who were all stuck in Australia anyway. Um, So we had the most unusual um, face-to-face course, absolutely full, but mostly locals um, from at least this state. And um, and there was no um, there was no challenging um, first course I've ever taught in permaculture where there isn't some degree of challenge about how things work and how people get things to work and whether the system actually does. Um, provide everything we say it provides um the challenge just disappeared everyone just accepted that permaculture works it's the it's the system to, to jump to it's the go-to system and and no one wants to challenge it no one waste any no one even wants to waste any time in that discussion it's like let's get on with it how do we do it how do we go tell me what happens you know it, it was interesting from a teaching point of view um Zaytuna Farm also is 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 moved into an eco village development, well eco hamlet. So we're now uh, developing eight households and eight new families, or well, seven new families, because I'm staying. I've even I've even um, set um, installed a cemetery. <laughs> but I'm staying long time. <coughs> uh, 
Um, so all that's gone through and been approved, and now we have new people moving onto the site. That's a whole new uh, evolution of Zaytuna Farm. We're going to demonstrate how people can live together as a cooperative farm in Hamlet on real estate that's already well-developed. And I think this is what developers need to do. They need to put in all the dams, all the swells, uh, the forestry systems, the grazing systems, get it all nicely planned out, and then sell. And then sell to people who don't have to worry about that. They don't have to argue about that. They don't have to debate about that. The mainframe's already done. This place is drought-proof, fire-proof, and, and food-proof. <laughs> energy, Energy-proof, too, you know. So, it, you know, lay that, lay that out for people. That's what people want. Any developers listening, um, you know, this is going beyond Village Homes Davis subdivision. This is rural, rural hamlet development. And so that's, those are the big changes that have happened. Otherwise, everything's the same. Food's the same. Water's the same. Energy's the same. Waste systems are the same. If it wasn't for the change in people arriving or, or, or the, or the variations of people and uh, physically coming to the site, um, we wouldn't know there was anything going on out there as far as pandemics or other strange events that are supposedly happening. Yeah, I I have to f- say I feel largely the same way. Like, I've looked out my backyard. I've talked to my ducks and my chickens, and none of them know anything about a pandemic. I, You know, my grandkids are here being homeschooled every day. I I go see my family, and I hug my kids. And on on some levels, I almost almost feel a twinge of guilt in that, you know, there's people just down the road that their life is completely turned upside down, you know. And, and I just haven't. And, and to be fair, I live in a state with less restriction on travel and, and things like that. Like our restaurants are still open, et cetera. And some states are like California is up there with like. China for draconian overlording. But I have to feel that building these systems is what's made my life so largely unaltered. Because, like, we're not worried about food. We're not worried about water. We're not worried about feeding our animals. Like, life has gone pretty much on as normal, and it makes you realize, like, how important it is to teach other people to do this because... The guilt I feel is not because what we did works. It's because I almost feel like I haven't done enough to convince enough people that, like, hey, there's a better way to live, if you know what I mean. Yeah. I mean, and and the biology you're engaging with is probably giving you so much immunity, you wouldn't get affected very much by anything anyway. And whether you caught it or not, or whether it's another flu or another whatever – um, more and more and more sanitizers now are coming out as as biological sanitizers, microorganism sanitizers to sanitize your hands instead of compromising your 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 your, your, your immunity system with alcohol-based sanitizers. I mean, I, you know, I'm talking to people who use high-quality worm castings to sterilize their hands and and, and heal cuts. I'm, I'm, I'm even talking to people who actually. Are consuming little little roundup pea-sized balls of high-quality worm castings and building their immunity system in their guts. And, you know, it, it's gone beyond the chemical para, you know, pharmaceuticals and 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 I was going to say paramedicals, but yeah, 
the, the nutraceutical systems um, that we have, right? The 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 food medicine, but also the biology that we're engaged with. Um, it, there's more and more evidence out there that the you know the more you engage with healthy soil microbes, the more you engage with uh, diversities of animals, plants, and 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 wild organisms as well. The healthier your gut is, you know, there's this whole thing about the garden of the gut, and and the, and the numbers of diverse organisms we should have in our gut. Um, the more and more the evidence is that um, the conventional system of uh, profit through through false chemicals and pharmaceuticals that create sterility is wrong. It's completely the wrong way to go. Um, and and I think there's an inkling of that being exposed with the information age uh, that people. And, and a lot of people are suspicious of what's happening. Of course, there's lots and lots of talk out there about suspicion and conspiracy, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But without going right down that rabbit hole, just what's actually turn people around to say, hey, this is all a bit crazy. We're this vulnerable. How do we end up like this? And what, what would have, would be the natural variation? What would be the alternative in a natural sense? And, and then you start to look at, the health records of different peoples, even religious-based peoples who, who, who are that much healthier. Um, and, and, of course, media covers a lot of things up. But, you know, um, we're great trackers. People are great trackers. So they track things on the Internet. They track information. Um, and I think we've, there's more and more people tracking this down and saying, I need a garden. I at least need a damn garden. I need I need to get involved with natural systems, even in a small way. And of course, once you hook up, um, you want more of it. You can sense it, uh, and you know you get some chickens, and they're a gateway animal. And next minute, you got some ducks, and you're on. You want to get out of town. I, I actually had consultancies. I had a few consultancies where people came from the nearest um, capital city to us. They got it here from Brisbane to do consultancy on buying land, professional people, professional people. Um, and, and while I'm driving around with them looking at different options of land to buy, paid as a consultant, I got to chat and, and talk to them. And, and, and I ended up, I've asked each one, I said, what, what made you do this? Uh, and uh, what made you move, want to move out of the city? And they just said a couple of things each time. One, they said, we've always realized, we realized we can work online. Now we have to work online. Mm-hmm. <coughs> and, and we can work online anywhere. We can get the internet. So, and, and when we got locked down in our unit, in our expensive apartment block, in our expensive, uh, suburb, we realized when we we're forced to stay there day and night, we don't like the place. We don't like the, the surroundings. We don't like, the, the suburb we don't we don't really have any friends or people that we would miss if we left and we just thought what are we doing here wouldn't we prefer to be in the country wouldn't we prefer to be on a little bit of land growing a bit of our own food living a wholesome life while we do online work and 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 it's, we just never noticed before because we were so busy we were eating out most of the time we're living this you know professional lifestyle we didn't realize that 
our real life was something we didn't actually like. <laughs> yeah, I, I think they, I think, and I see, I was part of that world at one time. I always kind of had, you know, urban rural fringe is where I've always lived. I've managed to pull that off because I had so much country boy in me. I, I couldn't live in a condo or something like that. But I did, you know, have the corporate job making the big salary, etc. And, you know, you don't realize what you're giving up because you are, it's, it's almost like a drug. So you have, I call it like the third place phenomenon, like, okay, so every day after work you stop at the bar or you do client entertainment or something like that, and you actually spend less and less time in your home. So you don't realize how un, unhuman or inhuman that dwelling is. Like, it's not made for human beings. Human beings are not supposed to live in sterile environments. You know, you were kind of on that earlier about how we, we build our immunity through exposure. And if you look at the typical urban or even suburban life today, it's very sterile. And, you know, like people live a certain way, but if company comes over, oh, my God, then it looks like a hospital when people walk in. And I think that's why we end up with all of these surplus spending options. Like we go out and we do this thing. It's, it's basically a, a form of, of medication or, or drug use. It's just not a substance. It's an activity. And I think this has really exposed it for people because, oh, when you don't get to go to that third place, you realize, okay, I'm paying, you know, some of these people are paying three, $4,000 a month to live in a place they don't even like. And they didn't even know they didn't like it. And it, I, I think it's had a major impact on real estate. I'm interested in, like, the macro effect on real estate in your area. Like, here in the States, it's weird, but it makes sense. And I wrote an article on it before it happened And it's in the theme of what I've been saying since this all started. COVID will kill the dying, and I don't mean people. There's all these ways of life that were on the edge of transition anyway. And COVID just, like, threw gas on that fire. And I'd say more like diesel fuel because it burns long and hot instead of quick and hot, you know. Um, so in New York City, Los Angeles, et cetera, you have a literal exodus. There was a guy that posted a video. It looked like a convoy of, like, rider trucks and U-Haul trucks leaving Manhattan. People in California yeah. were driving to, to to Nevada to get a rental truck, not only because they couldn't get one, but if they could get one, it cost less to get it in Nevada. So they would, like, the husband and wife would drive in a car, go to Nevada, get a U-Haul truck, come back to L.A., right, in California, pack their stuff and leave. So, like, these major cities are having this massive exodus. And then small town in America, urban rural fringe, urban, uh, or I'm sorry, suburb, like suburban to rural properties, the price has gone through the roof as people compete for property that nobody really wanted that long ago. And, and that's what we're seeing here. Is that similar to what's going on in Australia? Yeah, record prices. At rural areas that I would, what, rural Victoria, you know, it's Fireville, you know, like it's dry, Mediterranean, mm -hmm. away from the coast, rural Victoria, highest prices ever. Um, here, here people were buying, rich people were flying over and buying by helicopter because they couldn't land. Uh, people <laughs> were buying on the phone. I, I sold a block on, I, I sold one of our shares on the phone. I had to have a Skype interview for our, well, one of our shareholders. Um, actually, he's a, uh, Um, uh, and a neuroscientist and his wife's uh, uh, Ayurvedic expert. She's uh, um, 
Indian lady and uh, their 10-year-old son, a couple of dogs. <laughs> Met them all online, never been here, bought one of our shares. Lovely people. I mean, I got to know them <laughs> in these <laughs> new normal times. Well, I haven't physically met them. Their father's been here, had a look at the, the land, but they bought without visiting. So you're getting all kinds of things like that. People buying millions of dollars of properties on, on online without going on underground. Just panic buying at extreme. So uh, uh, that's one end, and the other end is people prepared to, to, to get out of the city and go to quite low-quality uh, um, landscape just to get away. And, and some of these people literally couldn't tell a duck from a chicken, but they're not afraid <laughs> of that. They're less afraid of that. No, I know that's extreme, but, you know, they're, 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 they don't know anything about gardening or farming, but they don't care. They're, they're willing to learn. They're willing to change. They just want to get away from the insecurity. So there's been this big change. Um, and, um, and then when they look around and think, well, what, what, how are we going to learn this? What, what, what's the best way to learn? Because they, they try a bit of everything, but they come across permaculture as a rational design science approach to, um, systems, system thinking. So this is, this is what we need. We need something where we can lie, you know, line up a system of approach, um, where you know we give people an assessment and then a design and then a process of implementation through to establishment. So you know um, we try and give people now a nice roadmap of how you go and which section. Like I can do an assessment on a property in half an hour uh, online with a client, um, and then I can go through to a design uh, and work with the client, and then I go through. Okay, this you want implementation this is the order of implementation and and then as you get it implemented now there's a system of establishment and that, that's quite flexible and can be quite long depends how hard you want to go at it but it's got a few years in there and it dynamically adjusts it it, it, it demonstrates its evolution as you adjust with it and the very final stage once it's established is long-term system maintenance, which gradually fades a little bit over time. So I, I lay this out for people. And they, they go, okay, okay, we'll, we'll move with that and um, we'll work with you until we think we've, we've, we've got the reins and it's all going okay and we can jump back into a consultancy when we like. And that's what they're after. They're just after, like, you know, they, they're sold. They're, they're sold. They're not going back. Um, and and then I think it's leaving vacancies in the cities to be re redesigned as well. So cities will be less dense and more um, uh, productive. So, so urban agriculture, I think, will be the, the secondary boom and perimeter urban agriculture. So, you, you know, you, you'll get a rural distribution of people and then then a repatterning of um, um Villages, towns, and, 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 and cities in a, a little bit more of a sensible patterned order, um, which is great. I mean, that's, that's, yeah. that's what we need. We always needed it, but it just got a kind of getting forced on us in a strange way. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's like a, a it's a, a panic, not a pandemic. It's a, it's, it's, it's a, in some ways, it's this, this proposal of a pandemic being so, um, ridiculously dangerous has, has turned into uh, a, a panic to become more um, self-reliant um, and, and take control of uh, our, our own destinies. And, and I think um, 
the the powers and authorities are, 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 are panicking really that they're going to lose control of people's you know desires. Um, people's desires have changed, um, and the value of of money for for a lot of people has has dropped. You know, your money is no good to you if you uh, you know your whole life systems are falling apart anyway. I mean, this is the thing. The addiction of modern life has also come with this absolute dependency that you have to, have to, have to have the surplus of money. Um, and that's just a formal economy approach where we've always talked in permaculture about informal economy. There's a lot of informal economy right, where, where we, we help each other and, and share our skills um, and um, share the workload quite a lot. And, and uh, become more of a, a community-based. Um, that was always fearful for people because they're worried about, you know, how do I, uh, how do I cooperate with other people? But this is kind of changed that. Um, we realise we have to cooperate. You know, I think part of what it is is you, you know, there's a group of us that are pure on permaculturists, but there's also a lot of people that don't even really know the word, but they're they're homesteaders. A lot of what they do is permaculture. It maybe lacks the cohesion and the structure and the understanding of, of interlocking and interconnected elements of design, but it's it's much better than the way that the average person lives on Main Street or what have you. And almost everybody, I think, at this point in time has somebody they know or are related to that lives that way. And we've always been the odd ducks, right? Like the, you know, I got this. Like, I had, have a, a brother-in-law who always said, you know, like if something goes wrong, I'm coming to your house. And I'm like, yeah, what are you bringing? You know, like, but he he, he knew better, but yet he just kept living that normal everyday lifestyle. And then this COVID crap hit, which is this is a man-caused problem. This is not a disease-caused problem. The disease is the excuse hmm. for man to cause the problem, in my opinion. Like. I'm not saying it doesn't exist. I'm not saying there is no virus. I'm not saying it doesn't hit some people really hard. But I'm saying the majority of the disruption in our lives is due to, to government. And they've known, you know, preppers, permaculturists, etc. And, and they've always been like, oh, they're kind of interesting. But, you know, I'm not going to live that way. And then this hits and they're like, wait a minute. Uh, Jack doesn't really give a shit about this. Jeff doesn't really care about this. Like their lives have just gone on, and my life's now a disaster. And and it, I I I, I I'm actually putting together some presentations right now. And I said one of there's actually very few things that cause people to fundamentally change. Like change what socks you wear. That that's not what I'm talking about. But fundamentally change your life. And the primary one that causes people to change is pain. And then secondary to that is envy. And envy we look at as a negative thing, but it, it can be a positive motivation if it's envy for something positive. And so you have pain, which any good teacher knows, that's one way you can actually get through to a student is to use pain. And and then you have envy of like, okay, my life sucks now, their life doesn't, I want what they have. And I think a lot of people always felt I want what they have, but they thought the sacrifice is too much or it won't work for me or whatever, and then the pain applied enough leverage to shove them in this direction. And I don't know about you, but I'm getting questions and requests for help from people I could not paid to have listened to me a couple of years ago. They just 
would tune yeah. out, and now they're begging me for information. I mean, how has this affected like consultancy demand? Like, I have a, I don't do consultancy very much because I don't have the time, and frankly, I'm a great teacher, but I'm a terrible consultant because when I When I put my time and effort into consultation and the person doesn't do anything with it, I don't care what they pay me. I'm miserable. Like, if they don't act on it, and, and maybe I feel that way from my time in corporate America with being paid, you know, $50,000 to lay out a marketing plan, watch them do 5% of it. But I've been flipping my consultancy requests to a friend named Nick Ferguson, who's a great permaculturist, and he's busier than he's ever been. It, it, it seems like there's more demand for this than there has ever been. And I think it's pain and envy kind of coming together if that makes sense yeah yeah i mean um, if you looked at your life now it's probably better uh, mm. with covid than it was before <laughs> i mean actually my life at day 10 and five you were honest about it it's actually better because i have less people coming through physically yeah i have more work online so if i if i was selfish about this and i, I said well I, i don't really care about helping people you know face to face Uh, um, you know, uh, my life here is less complicated because I have less physical people on site. And when they come, they're better behaved because they're more serious about what they want to learn. They're just not here on a folly, right? Well, I'll have a bit of a holiday and learn a bit about permaculture. No, they, if they come, they're serious. Um, so actually, in some ways, you know, our lives have got better. Um, and other people's lives have just fallen off, right? It's just like, you know, which way to go next? Um, It, it's it's a it's a very interesting times, and and because we do want to help people, and you're online, you're, you're you're out there, and I'm out there, and we're doing videos, and we're doing audios, and 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 we're we're actually getting more done. I think we're actually touching more people. So in in almost every way, our, our life was improved with this, um, and we're seeing something that's hopeful coming out of this. Um, so it's just a matter of like, how do we speed this up now? How do we how do we get to the you know the to the tipping point where this becomes the you know the new way people behave? This is a I think we've we flipped a corner quite quite well. Um, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have predicted this is how it was going to happen, but um, this is how it is. Yeah, what do you, have you seen much of what uh, David Holgram's been doing lately with this concept of retro suburbia, and it, it seems to make a lot of sense. You and I kind of want to be out. And, and to be fair, he he went out like his property is classic urban rural fringe, um, but he, he's basically made the case that like well most people live in the suburbs, and if you get too dense in the urban, right, then a lot of what you want to do you can't do, but most people probably will live in suburbia, and we have a massive investment in infrastructure there and, and, and housing and things like that is great. You know, he's probably a better, he said himself, he's probably a better builder than a gardener. And so building like a passive solar home is great. But if you tear down a house, that has been there for 50 years to do that. That's a lot of embodied image energy you've lost. And kind of like, do, do you see the opportunity, especially, you know, outside of the, the, the metropolises for, kind of like a retrofitting, maybe even some, like, elimination of some of the, like, you know, there's places where the houses are really in bad decay, and people are going in and buying three houses, tearing down two, rebuilding one, and opening the yard. Like, do you see that as being something as part of this transition? That That is happening. 
that that is happening in, in, in many different ways. We've got whole uh, real estate, brand new real estate going in where people are all uh, connected to uh, a organic community uh, with organic community gardens and uh, organic streetscapes and uh, and um, each garden's got its degree of foodscape and people are connected online with their own private you know internet connection inside a suburb as you buy in. Um, there are developers here in the city that are buying 10 to 12 houses together and knocking them all down and putting high density permaculture townhouse design in and, and I'm working on those. And then there are the individual developments and this where sometimes you, you live next door to a neighbor who doesn't change at all or, but it, ideally you'd get whole neighborhoods changing, but you get here and there you get the real estate gain people are making by taking an old house um, that doesn't have any quality at all about it and retrofitting it um, and then developing it and and selling it on. Now, what they are doing is they're, they're making um, a Facebook channel, YouTube blog about the whole event. So they, they, they actually are recording the, the, the house when they buy it even if it's at an auction, they try and record the whole event. And then every move they make from that moment onwards to the point where at the end, it's a completely transformed property with a fantastic food garden. It's got mushroom production, bees hives, solar power, solar hot water, even compost toilets, reed bed grey water. Every addition they can possibly put in with local legislation allowing. And they're actually even teaching their courses as they do it, like having open days, and then at the end they sell it at, at a great gain. They've kind of like gained a, a, a following, um, and then they sell it for to, to people who just want to move in and, and, and live live the good life. So there are individual developments going on like that, and people are actually going out there and searching those houses, searching like where's the ideal house, got a good aspect can retrofit everything. They even record, like, you know, they, they change it to natural paint, put extra windows in, open up on one side, or it's a cold climate, put the glass house on that self-heats the house, reduce the energy cost, re- record the reduction in energy cost, etc., uh, etc. Et and, and that's a wonderful career. And it's like the, you know, you get these programs where people go in and they do the, um, uh, the real estate, uh, development where they buy an old house and, and they, they, they have a television program of, uh, following how a house gets renovated and then sold. Um, this is like the same thing, but it's a recording of what it costs to do it, the work it costs to do it, but also the reduction in energy and, 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 and supplies that the garden supplies. So, you know, you're, you're, you're documenting the energy reduction of running that house. And, and everything that um, you can get from the garden as a supply line. Um, someone probably going to come up with a reality television show of that same thing. And I hope they don't ruin it that. when they. I hope they don't ruin it when they do because my wife loves those ones you're talking about that are on TV now. And I'm, you know, like their re- renovation budget for this project is eighty thousand dollars, and you look at what they did, and you went, no, it's not. <laughs> that might have paid for the material, but that did not pay the cost of all these contractors and all. And so hopefully it won't ruin it. Because what I love about people doing it like online is it's authentic. It's real. Yeah. I, and I, to be fair, I think one of the advantages they have that a TV producer doesn't 
is the TV producer is doing a 30-minute show that has to be condensed to 22 minutes for commercials. And a YouTuber, if they happen to do a segment that's an hour and 45 minutes, whatever. You know, it's no big deal, you know. Um, yeah, there's a lot of that going on. I, I, and I think that there are, advantage, there, there are ways you can do things simply that people don't even think of. You mentioned, like, um, windows. So this house that we have is, it was built in 1978. And if you know what interest rates were in 1978, they were like 18%. Every shortcut you could take in building a house, you took in 1978. So it's, it's, it, there's a lot of things that aren't ideal about it, but it's, it's facing due south from the front. So it's, it's got that. And all we did was we put in these three huge, beautiful windows, Wide open windows. And we just recently had the worst cold front seen in Texas in 30 years. And it was nine degrees, but the sun came out. And we, Jeff, we turned off our, our backup heat in the middle of the day. The house got too hot. Yeah. It was nine degrees outside. Now we don't have a, you know, ideally you'd put a thermal wall in to, to suck that up during the day so you had it through the night. So we don't have that, but the daytime, It was amazing. And then, you know, we, we adjusted the eaves so that in the summer, none of that light comes in. And just that one yeah. simple change. And you've got this incredible yeah. energy reduction. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't do all things for us because we're only cold a small time of the year. But it, it showed what something simple. It was also beautiful and aesthetic. Like, I didn't have to, like sell my wife on the energy gain. All I did is say, look how pretty it is. And I think there's so many yeah. opportunities like that out there. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. There's a, um, yeah, there'd be a whole industry in, in, in flipping houses into, into energy surplus. I think your idea, um, like, or what you've done with PRI is something, and you said developers need to do, I, I agree, and I think maybe that's something a lot of people that are like, I want to do a permaculture community or whatever, Maybe need to think about more like instead of saying we need this desolate piece of property and bring in 40 people, get the property right and then bring the people in and then do the development. Yeah, well, we we sold all our shares as a tuna farm in, in, in two weeks. They're all gone. Yeah. And, and a, a, a much larger queue of people saying, if anybody falls over, I'll buy straight in. Um, but people have been nagging me to say, can you do it again, Jeff? Yeah. Can you do a like Jeff signature development and just put all the dams, put all the swells, put all the access, put all the house site positions in, just plan it from the get go. We'll buy. And I said, well, there's, there's a deficiency in this. I mean, people need that they're after this. They don't want to make those mainframe decisions. They need someone with experience. And, and that's what we do. That's a bit we can't help doing. I mean, um, my work now has got to a stage where I need a larger job to be challenged. Uh, I was, uh, with COVID, um, lockdown, I was stuck in Saudi Arabia for a month longer than I was supposed to be. So all of a sudden I woke up one morning and there was no planes leaving and we were stuck. Yeah. And I ended up using my English passport because I have an English dual nationality to get to London to get back to Australia. <laughs> But, uh, the job I was on there was 173 square kilometers, which is enormous area of desert near 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 Riyadh and um yeah working on landscape like that um it was um 
a, a new wildlife reserve that they needed the landscape to be rehabilitated, which included 17 center pivot irrigation systems, those giant circles you get out in the desert of green crops, which are highly destructive landscape, really. I mean, it's the way they're stupid, this way to grow food with those massive circles. I mean, they're 400 acres, some of them, 18,000 litres of water a second pouring out. Um, but I was able to rehabilitate stuff like that. I was able to, I hadn't been faced with that challenge. And, and on those broad landscapes, if your experience as a design, it doesn't matter how big it is. I was able to lay out a design. It was good fun. I was actually, I was having fun. It was like right out there as a challenge. But 173, um, 173 square kilometers, um, what's that in miles? Say at, at 80, 90 square miles, something like that. Of, of, of landscape and I was able to do all the water calculations work out what the runoff was when it comes you know they're only getting like three inches of, of rain but most of it comes in a couple of storms uh, what you do to rehabilitate it and then what I the design I came up for center pivot irrigation rehabilitation on those big flat circles um, I was surprising myself I just never thought of this um, but here I am faced with a challenge. I mean, you're faced with challenges. You just come up with better design. So I'm looking at these giant flat circles with a big, big bore pipe going down that's still there. And I said, wow, I could swell right across this. It's not perfectly level. And I could flood this with the same infrastructure, you know, and, 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 and then I could grow forest on this really quickly. And then I could switch that off. I could switch that irrigation off, but that big bore, Will, will give me that everything I need to get it started fast. And while I'm walking around out there, I noticed a few things that I've never seen before, and that was uh, things like camel manure blows in the wind because it's all dry and round. Um, and, and then when you step on it, which I happen to do a few times, I noticed it's full of tree seeds. So I'm talking to local people, and they say, yeah, they eat a lot of trees, but when they're in seed, a lot of seeds go straight through them, and, and it's in their manure. And... Uh, then I started to look at where it gathers up and if it germinates and how quick I could make it germinate if it was blowing into swales and flooding. I've got this whole thing came up with just from being out there on broad landscape and absolutely no worry about finding a design that'll work. I knew it was there somewhere to take, you know, uh, uh, a totally degraded desert back into, you know, an incredibly healthy wildlife reserve full of native trees just by combining elements that, you know, you, you just need that excitement. You need that level. You need at a certain point, you know, I don't mind doing small design. Uh, it's easy, you know, just, just flows, but to get out there to find the out, outer, bigger, larger challenges, um, as a experienced designer, you know, that's what, that's what gets you excited. That's what, that's what gets you buzzed. Um, so that was, uh, interesting stuff. You know, um, so I'm, I'm looking for those big challenges now. <laughs> that's what that's what gets me excited. You have some stuff going on. I don't know what you can or can't say about it in, in, in Qatar, right? Yeah, in the capital city of Qatar, um, in the uh, Arabic Gulf there, um, right next to Saudi Arabia. Um, the capital city is Doha, and uh, we have the largest... Uh, permaculture park on planet Earth being established. Uh, it, it's a massive area, you know. Um, yeah, so 
we're um, we're right in the middle of the city. I mean, it, it's 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 almost going to be like permaculture Central Park, um, right downtown. I'm working with uh, one of my students, who's uh, one of the world's most famous architects. He's pulled me in. I've got um, um, full license and uh, to put in, you know, all the high tech um, systems that we have, like uh, evaporative irrigation systems that only switch on when a certain amount of uh, water evaporates out of evaporative pans, measured irrigation by Bernie Omidy in South Australia. No one's ever uh, exposed this stuff much. You know, we're putting in tens and tens of acres of, of, of date palm overstory food forest, all the um, desert crop systems, um, uh, shaded production systems. We've got a full permaculture classroom going in, um, permanent, uh, all underground, um, and um, um, low energy cooling. Uh, we've got our own uh, workshop systems. Um, um, we've got um, solar-powered ATVs and uh, um, beautiful landscape terraces. Uh, there's three parks actually. One's just an enhanced desert system where there, people will just walk through the desert on walkways and appreciate the native endemic uh, flowering events and, and different events of the desert day and night. Another one is a tree park. Uh, it's all uh, desert trees from around the world and all the runoff uh, of rain and all the runoff from uh, surplus irrigation, if it happens, ends up in an underground tank that's uh, away from the sun, but solar energy, solar power pumps it up to a shallow lake only at night, um, a shallow lake full of gravel. So people can walk around this tree park, um, illuminated with solar power with a, with a, with a, a nighttime shallow lake for yeah. evaporative cooling. And then the third area is our area, which is full permaculture, full blown. They give me license to do everything. Anything and everything, every demonstration I can do. So we've got um, we've got 12 acres of, of crop gardens and and, and um, production systems, chickens, compost, worm farms, shade houses, nurseries, everything. You know, it's there's no holes barred. They're bored in hook, line, and sinker. Um, so uh, and they're excited. And I've promised them this will be national, regional, and globally. Famous people will fly uh, from around the world. That you, you wait after this, there's going to be a copycat system go off in all directions. And it, you know, it's it's unique in what we do that a lot of people don't like when what they do is kind of co-opted and redone. We're like, that's our goal. Our goal is yep. to if we could if we could allow people to control C, control V, permaculture, we would do it. Like that. That's the entire goal: is self-replicating systems. Everywhere, and uh, that, that's that, that's really exciting stuff. Um, it's going to be like a green in the desert site I did, where people say, "Oh, if you can do it there, you can do it anywhere." But that was small, and and it wasn't well, it wasn't fine, financed. We we self financed it ourselves more or less. That we did get some help in the end once we proved the point. But this is this is being funded all the way. Uh, the Qataris want to move towards a more sustainable situation. Uh, they understand that fossil fuels won't go forever, um, and they can invest now and get it done to the, you know, as best possible. But we're talking downtown, right next to Sports University. They're really not far from from the main 
the main beach in the middle of town, like the main boulevard beach. So we're really right dead center of, of, of a capital city. So I think um, obviously this will be um, repeated around the, the region, but um, everywhere else in the world as well, when they look at this and go, well, if you can do this with three inches of rain, with those high temperatures, you can do it anywhere. Why haven't we got one? Have you or your priorities changed a lot during this period of time? Like, has it made a major impact on you personally? I've had to delegate a lot of work to uh, my team. Um, I've had to focus on the technology. And, and thank goodness I've got someone like Ben Missimer who's willing to work with me on mapping systems. I need, like, slope maps. I've developed my own slope maps. So I can show you exactly where you should or shouldn't be working in landscape uh, because of the degree of slope and the aspects. But I've had to, you know, so technology focus has happened. And for me, design focus has happened. I've had to focus on what I think is the most important to get the best result in these times. So I want I want to get the most bang for the buck, you know. So I've, I've really tried to think carefully about where, hence I'm talking to you on a program like this, because I think it's important. <laughs> I need, we need to focus. We need to get the best value, the best yardage out of this, you know. Um, so that's what I've done. I've gone, where can I get, you know, where is my effort uh, best directed right now um, to get the best effect? So some things I just have to say no to. I think someone else should be doing it. You don't need me. Um, I, I'm better. I, 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 I'm, I'm better served, or I can. I, I'm in service, doing more and more valuable things that might, you know, I have the ability to achieve. So, um, we, we talk a lot like that uh, here. Our team, you know, often we're very busy, and um, you know, we're, we're, we're stretched because we have a lot of inquiry, and we try and be. Um, we try and service people as much as we can, but we feel like we're in service. Uh, we're in service to, to, to the world's environment. We're in service to the earth um, and, 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 and the people of the earth. So we often say when we're, we're really tired and, and, and things got a bit hectic, well, we're in service. Um, and most days we're, you know, we're pretty booked out. I'm booked out today. I understand. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. It's, a, it's a bit like being in. In in, in, in 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 the services. Yeah, it is. It is. You're ex guy. You know what I mean. Yeah. Some of my best guys are ex, right? Because they have a task completion mentality. Yep. Right. And and they get stuff done. You know. And so often there's two things. They've had a life challenge or a health challenge, and they've been in the services. And now they they feel like now they're in the real service, the service to the to to, to the world. Uh, and what we have to do to get out of this mess. <laughs> I'll tell you, from personal experience, part of it is, yes, it's it's service-oriented. It's also like when you're in the military, you have this mission mindset. Like you don't have tasks when you're in the Army. You have a mission. It, up to the point, if I have to kill somebody to get this done, then that's then – that's, and I'm not going to do that in permaculture, but that is the mindset that's drilled into you. When you are given an objective – over, around, through, blow it up, whatever, you get it done. And it can be very destructive, but it's also, from a mental standpoint, it's a very purpose-driven life. And you're surrounded by people who are trained the same way. Mm. 
And then one day you're done and bloop, they spit you out. And now you're surrounded by utter chaos. You go to a grocery store, people can't even stand in line the right way is, the, is how it feels. And then you find something like permaculture and it gives you a mission and it puts that piece of you that was taken away back. And now you have an objective and then you find community and people that think the same way and it gives you something back because I think a lot of us that, that served in the military, we go there because we had something lacking and even if it does some negative things, it does give you that, it fills that void And then when you leave, it, you know, you get basically three days of telling you how to fill out unemployment paperwork and how to apply for a job, and, and then they cut your ID in half and goodbye. And it, it's why military people have a really hard time adjusting. But, you know, agricultural-type pursuits have been very traditionally what old soldiers were sent to do because it kept them out of trouble, like – In the time of the Roman Empire, when a soldier was discharged, they were given land and basically sent off to grow cabbages and grapes. Because then they had something mm -hmm. to do and they didn't take their skills and, you know, go get together and go start raiding villages. And, and I think that that's a big part of the appeal of permaculture to prior service, such as myself, is it put that mission. And it also put an organizational structure. Because you tell a soldier, we'll plant a garden. Well, what kind of garden? How far apart should everything? Because you're you're in that literally you've lived for years of your life folding your underwear to six inches. So then you give that person total freedom with no restrictions on the design. They don't know what to do, but you throw the ethics, the prime directive, and basic design science in, and soldiers are troubleshooters as well, right? We we I was a mechanic, so you're really into troubleshooting then. So then you get this design science that lets you observe and interact, and then okay, this isn't working. Well, why isn't it working? How can I correct it? And all of a sudden, all of this this void is full. And I think that's why there's so much positivity from prior service military. Yeah, my, my PA, Darren, he's ex-military, and he, he's, and like a lot of them, they, 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 they don't mind going into details. Right? He's a stickler for getting all the little details right. Uh, um, I, I know when I give him a task, Um, and a mission, he's gonna he's gonna come and say, okay, let's let's define the details that I have to go through to get there. You know, um, so give me all the details more than I would normally look at myself. Um, <coughs> so I've got used to that as uh, uh, <coughs> something of value. I also see people. Uh, some people are very good finishers. Some people are good workers, and some people are good starters. And we're all a bit of each. So I try and define the people I work with. Are you a good starter, or do I have to get you started? And if you, if you, if I can get you started, are you a good worker? And how do you finish? Some people are allergic to finishing the last five or ten percent. Yeah, you have to fit, always put a finish on it. Other people are, you know, the worst are people who start but don't do anything else. They start everything. <laughs> they don't ever get anything done. You know, they're starters but nothing else. Um, I have people in my team who are incredible finishers. Now, they're really great steady workers. I get them started. They're good steady workers. They're not super fast. They get it done. Uh, but then they always put a great finish on. So I might switch people and I put people together. And, and, and I, I pointed out to them, look, you've got to work on your finish or you've got to work on how steadily you work through something. You can't give up halfway through, you know. Um, yeah, it's all, it's all teamwork. It's all working with 
teams, deploying people in different places and, uh, um, and getting people trained. You know, one thing I've been able to do with Zaytuna Farm is get people well trained. Anybody that spends two years here leaves here overemployed for life. Um, they're never short of work. Um, and, and hopefully they stay in my team and don't go off at a tangent. You know, it's hard to hold people. There's so much work. So much work. <laughs> yeah. Um, but there's quite a few that contact me every single week. They're on Skype. Every single week they're showing me what they're doing. Um, if they're ever uh, unsure, they're, they're back in touch um, and, and, and getting a bit of confirmation on, on what they're intending to do. Um, and there are some uh, amazing achievements in all across the world, um, projects everywhere. Um, so I'm, 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 I'm very happy about that. I'm very happy about what people are achieving in different places. And um, a lot of it's exposed on the you know, social media systems. So it, people, are, people are seeing more and more good work, that's for sure. Have you started to have any concerns globally about the food supply during this time? It seems like we've seen some really dumb things done uh, in conventional ag, which is bad in its own, but at least it has a kind of output that can be utilized. And so when I look at corn and soy especially, U.S. stocks of it, it's lower than it's been in a very long time. We had some flooding and some other weather events, and to be low now is bad because your next harvest is is pretty far out. And I think a lot of people are like, well, I don't eat corn, I don't eat soy. You know, well, do you eat conventional livestock, right? Because that's mostly what cattle and sheep eat in the mass production system. And even a lot of us that are homesteaders and permaculturists, we rely somewhat on some external feed source. And I am working really hard right now to, to I've always wanted to, but now I have more urgency to produce more of my own feed for my animals. I have a system I'm building right now, where I will be building in, in March with students, that basically takes the duck water and dumps 60 gallons of, of duck bath water a day into a pond that overflows into a swale system. But that pond, and here I can't do a conventional pond. I have too much rock, so it's a lined pond that we're building, very um, straight-edged, you know, an 18 by 8 or 16 by 8 pond to grow water hyacinth off the duck affluent. And then the water hyacinth, which is a plant I'm not supposed to grow, but I'm, I'm not concerned with that, um, has a protein, the dry leaf and stem has a protein equivalent to soy. And then so you can use the duck affluent mm. to grow the hyacinth and feed it back to the ducks, and whatever they don't eat is composted and then returned to the same system. And then that same system will grow crawfish that feed my my you know my catfish and my bass, and et cetera, in other ponds. And, like, I'm not doing that just because I think it's, it's a great idea, and it's, it, it seems fairly stable as a system, but the impetus to, like, sit down and design it was when I really looked at this looming shortage of so soy and corn in the supply line, even though I don't feed that to my animals, like, okay, so Milo's next, Peanut's next, like all of these things I think are going to be put under pressure. Yeah, yeah. yeah the, it, the food supply on mass, the, the main crops of the world, um, they're, they're very, very um, vulnerable in these situations, um, extremely vulnerable. 
So, you know, because we we laid all our dependency on these very, very simplistic number of crops, um, it, it can be very, very, very easily upset. So we, we've got the opposite problem in Australia where, you know, the outback, the, in, the interior of Australia had the best rains for 100 years this year. And so they couldn't even get the crops off the ground. They've, they've had the best yield ever. Um, they don't know what to do with it. Um, you know, there, there's um, they can't even they, they, they can't even get people enough people employed to, to drive the headers to get their their, their, their their grain off the off the fields. Um, but um, it's it, it's just a really unusual situation. Um, but the, the the global market's not there for them to sell it properly. So they're they're stuck with you know a massive surplus sitting right here. Um, of course, somebody's going to get that cheap, and it's going to go into a global market. Um, and and it just there's so much variation that happens with whether you've got a deficiency or whether you've got a glut um, that makes it um, a system that that it, it just swings in all directions when you're going to ship the stuff all over the world um, on, on an exchange rate. You know the the, the cattle prices right now are really, really high, and that doesn't make any sense at all uh, because there's a surplus of, of, of feed out there in, 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 in the surplus grain, but they're, not, they're, they're holding it back to sell it somewhere else. Um, well, a lot of where, nations have banned exports because they are like Brazil um, has banned yeah. exports, and China's buying all they can get, of, of especially soy. And then other nations are exporting every bit they have in spite of, like, that's what we're doing. We're, we're being completely idiotic in that we're selling as much as any global market wants to buy while our internal stock, and you can, like, see a shortage hitting hard about April, May before the next crop comes in. And it's insane. And then I didn't know you guys had a surplus. That's, that's totally bizarre to me with the other markets I've looked at. Yeah, yeah, but they've never seen anything like it. Um, but um, again, they, they, you know, they, it's all going to get sold cheap to China. Probably, it's all yeah. going to go somewhere else. But really, our security comes from locally grown food of great diversity. So, um, and it's it's the absolute opposite way of approaching our food supply. Um, and you know, more and more, we're seeing the medical research, the health research, saying that. You know, it needs to be highly nutritious food that's very fresh and very local, and 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 we need great diversity. Um, you know, there's figures come out where you know we're talking about um, one of the best things you can do for your diet is is to have you know 20 varieties of leaf con, you know consumed every day. I mean, how, how many of us eat 20 different types of of, of leaf crop in one day? Um, only people who have that diversity of garden around them, um, it's not hard to do, it's, but you've got to want to do it. Um, it's not something the average person walks out into the garden or walks down the street um, and, and has that available to them. They can't even go to the shop and buy that. Um, and, and I, I mean, I'll admit, I'm, I probably eat more leafy greens than and more variety of leafy greens than 99% of people. I doubt that I have 20 staple leaf crops, right? That's that's a very, very high number. And, I mean, 
with I eat almost exclusively proteins and fats from animals uh, and animal products and leafy green vegetables. And, and still, 20, that's, that's, an, that's an insanely high number. Well, it'd, it'd only be a few leaves of one or two things. So some sure. of them would actually be like well, wild herbs, um, you know, portulacas, yeah. things like that. Things that often people don't eat, but just to pick your way through the garden to get those essential elements, to get those enzymes that are on that living food. I mean, this is coming up as, as proof for your, your, your health system. Mm-hmm. But and that's the, if you know leafy green, leafy greens are easy to grow. And, and if you're aiming at that diversity, um, it, it'd be a nice thing to record. What are those 20 or, or more? I mean, you could do more. I, I've, I've, in the last few years, I've looked at our guys and said, why the hell do we have so many leafy greens? How many do we <laughs> want to eat? And this kept up. Was it? So, oh, that's why. Okay. I mean, I reckon we could get 40 or 50 if we want it. I've been cutting them back, thinking, ah, oh, how many do you need, you know, really? But this is new research. I mean, this is the type of research we should be paying attention to. It, it does disempower these main crop producers who are destroying the world. I mean, it's the most destructive process on the planet, agriculture in its industrialized form. I mean, every country that's engaged in massive amounts of wheat, soya, maize, you know, rice and potatoes, those are the fine five main crops of the world that are traded. In 1950, there would have been about 12. Now there's five. And potatoes probably are not going to last that much longer out there as the last root crop. You know, Um, it's kind of silly. Um, it's very silly, actually, if you if you if you look at all the real information, because it's so easy to feed ourselves with really healthy stuff, which reduces all the other on costs of ill health. Um, so I, I think people are switching on to this. They need to hear more about this information um, and they need to realize that you buy a lot of time. You, you, you reduce your need to earn, you reduce your to earn money, you reduce and there's nothing wrong with that. There's no need to be super afraid of that idea. Um, you reduce the need to travel. Um, you reduce your health costs. You can reduce all your energy costs. Um, and your dependency on that financial consumptive system can drop away significantly. And, and, and there's your vulnerability disappearing and, and, and your immunity improving, I would say as well, definitely. Yeah, I mean, but, people you know, can say what um, they want. People can say what they want about COVID. I don't know if I had it or just didn't get it, but I've literally been surrounded by it. Like everybody that I interact with has gone through it, and, and my wife and I have had nothing. And I know a, a significant number of the cases tend to be asymptomatic anyway, but like we're older, you know, we should have had something if you would have gotten, but. We've had, I mean, I even had, I had a workshop, you know, you talked about having less people. My events have gotten bigger because people want to do something. We had 80 people here in November. The workshop, we put it on sale, it sold out in five minutes. And we had several people that tested positive for COVID after it. Most of us didn't. We got nothing. And I, I really think there is something to natural diets and good living that I, I don't think any like if you want to guarantee you won't get sick or you won't get an illness like I don't know that anybody can give you that guarantee I'm not God I don't get to make promises like that but I think the the 
percentage of likelihood drastically declines with good quality natural living. It, 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 I, I mean, have you had any issues with it at the PRI? Well, I, I haven't noticed. I mean, if, if there's any flu, let's just talk pre-COVID. Sure. If there's any flu around or any kind of like, you know, anything people are infectious that people are picking up, we're likely to get it here because people fly from all over the world or used to fly from sure. all over the world here. And we come from really questionable places. You know, they're alternative people traveling very alternative type systems and, <laughs> and, and going to remote places and they arrive here they just get off a plane in brisbane and come here they're here within three hours so if they're carrying an infection or anything infectious with them it arrives here and if i get something i get a mild version of it i just get a mild version so i had a mild version of a flu some kind of i would suppose you call it a flu i didn't really go and get checked i mean they're checking everywhere i mean australia's got contact tracing you can't go anywhere i got a, I got registered my boat yesterday i went in to get new registration for a, a little fishing boat i bought right so I'm, I'm getting a new little second-hand fishing boat go out and do a bit of fishing as you know i went in there and i'm going into the to the registration and i had to stop at the door i had to I get my phone out i had to take a photograph of the of the code it had to register they had to put my name in they wouldn't even let me in everybody there's a bodyguard there, big muscly guy saying no Take your, get your phone out, take a photo of that oh, um, code, code system. And it's contact tracing on everything. So if anybody's had it, I, they would have contact traced you somewhere or something or somehow, I don't know. But, like, I, I had a fluy type thing. It lasted a couple of days. It wasn't much. I don't know what it was. I am really – why would I bother checking? I mean, it's like it, – that's how I am with everything. I mean, yeah. I'm 66. I, I'm, I'm supposed to be vulnerable to this, you know, at my age. And, like, I don't know. I, I don't really get anything much of any volume. Sometimes I'll get a little bit of a something. It'll always be a mild version of what other people get who are not looking after themselves so much. I mean, um, it, it, I don't know. It's just a ridicule. I and mean, when I look at like what, what people say, you know, you see these sometimes I was sitting somewhere and going to the dentist or somewhere or, um, and, and you've got magazines, ladies' magazines, and they're able to, like, test how healthy are you, how many steps do you work, how far do you walk, <laughs> do you eat fresh uh, Do you ever contact animals, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you know, all these things. I, I, I just look at them and think, yes, 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 yes. You're, like, at 100%. You know, I, I've got a little Apple Watch thing that tells me how far I walk. You know, I, I walk, you know, Eight, eight miles a day average on the farm, but sometimes I'll do like like 15, you know, miles or 18 miles in a day without even realizing that. that's every day, like eight miles at least every day. Um, you know, uh, do I get a puff up? Yeah, sure. Should I get like, you know, I get you know a bit puffy sometimes. I do. I'm lifting different things. Do I eat fresh vegetables? You gotta be joking. <laughs> do I eat fresh fruit? Yeah. I mean, are I contacting animals? Yeah, about five different types every single day. You know, it's like this, those questionnaires are like, it's like, are you normal or are you not normal to me? I mean, it's like, that's just normal. You know, that, that's what, what humans do, isn't it? Um, and it appears not. Uh, I, I, I had a, a, a science teacher come here and take a, a design course from London. She went back to a, uh, uh, an expensive girls' school in London and started a permaculture garden and got the kids, the girls in this private school to start gardening. Um, she nearly got sacked. 
They called yeah. her into the office because the parents were freaking out that, that, that she'd asked the girls to touch the soil. And, 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 and they were going to, you know, they were going to sack her for that because the, the parents were just that you, our girls don't touch soil. They should never be asked to touch soil. <laughs> Can you expect to build up an immunity system if you never ever touch the soil? Um, yeah, this is uh, what the rich and privileged uh, uh, end up doing. It's very strange, and they don't think they, they think that's normal. You think that's normal? Um, yeah, uh, there's no stuff like you have that. A one of your students, Matt Powers, used to be a teacher. He did an exercise. What even permaculture? He just had students build an Excel spreadsheet that analyzed the cost of a college degree versus the projected career you would get from it. He almost got sacked for that. And he was teaching at a, uh, uh, what do you call it? I can't think of it now. Uh, like a charter school. We're like, they're open to other things. But these kids went home and like, oh, I'm not going to college for this. Look at the numbers. And all he had them do was a basic analysis. The same type of analysis you would do if you're installing a system, right? Like, okay, I'm going to go spend $80,000 for this job and a starting wage is $24,000. This, this, you know, and paying back my student loans is going to take 12 and a half years. Maybe I should do something else. You, you should be given an award for that. But no, we, we, we live in a place where I, I honestly feel that the system is behaving like an organism. It's trying to survive. Mm -hmm. And it's dying. And like, mm. you you know, you've dealt with animals enough to know the worst thing you can have is a sick and dying animal that you have to deal with. You can't just let be. That's like the most dangerous animal there is, is a sick, injured, dying animal that has to be dealt with. And that's, that's this system. This system is now trying to survive... And it's also been around so long, and it's extracted so much, it has to change. And there's a lot of money involved in making sure that it does it. And there's a lot of people that – I don't like to condemn people as individuals. I don't – because I don't know how they've lived. And, but there's a lot of people that have had very pampered existence. And they've never had to actually go a day hungry in their life. They've never – been to a place where people are hungry. You know, the, the, they've never been to a place where there really isn't much garbage because anything usable is not thrown away. They've never seen anything like that. And they have this attachment to this way of life that they will do anything they can, like tell their children not to touch dirt. Like what kind of – like if you put – you know very well, Jeff, if you put like five kids out in a playground – The first thing they do is start playing in the dirt. It's a very natural thing, and, and they're trying to prevent natural behavior because I think it symbolizes the end of their paradigm, and they're very, very uncomfortable with that, and they're like this dying animal that you have to, you can't just leave it alone. You have to go do something with it, and it, it's very dangerous. Yeah, universities in the physical form are probably 85% redundant. Yeah. Um, we know now that online education is getting a massively better results so you, you're getting you know hundreds of times better results uh, from online education and that makes total sense because you can stop and start the teacher when it's not live it's just recorded 
and you can look up online if you don't understand a word he says or you can replay if you're not quite getting it. Um, you can get reference material all the time. So you'll get in this situation now where you're getting the flipped classroom is getting the best results. You're doing your education online at home at your pace and you're able to repeat and research as you're learning. And then you go to your university to do your projects or you go to school to do your homework with your teacher. So you always wanted your teacher with you when you were doing your homework, but you didn't have the teacher. You had the teacher teaching you the lessons. Well, you don't need that now because we're in the information age and it's all online. So the results we're getting with online education, I know from our online courses and we're launching one, we're in launch now, that the design exercise that we get at the end of a course where we mentor people through an exercise and we have a now we've developed a massive software system that gives you every question you need to ask when you're going in as a consultant to do a design it's so valuable to anybody but the results we get in the tests shock me i mean 20 percent of the designs i get in my online students in their design exercise is better than anything i'll ever do as long as i live better than me as a, as their teacher Right. So what we're getting with the flipped classroom is that you're doing your design work, you're doing your 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 learning at home, and then you're going to your teacher to do your final project. So we're at the stage where we will start to license our our online permaculture design certificate course because we've already we've already developed it we've got all the learning tests in there we've got all the extra information in there we've got the design exercise software in there we've even got how to find a job and which job vacancies were available at the end for people to take up employment but we we you can you'll be able to license our course and get your students to watch the course before they come to learn about permaculture from you so now your students arrive and they're already well educated. They already know all the basics and more. And now the education process is a refinement. It's an advancement. It's a discussion from from the baseline is raised. The baseline is much higher. So, you know, when you're teaching people face to face, they arrive and somebody's going to turn up and go, what's mulch or what's a swale? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and you have to teach to the lowest person's understanding in the room, the person who understands the least, because otherwise you're just leaving them behind. And, and there are people there who are already put in a food forest. They've already got, you know, composting systems set up. Yeah, I've been, they're, I've they're, had to deal um, with that. Then they're bored and you're having to, to like teach at like a very fundamental level to bring that person and you're, you're losing half at any one time. It's, it's like, what you're talking about is more like if you're building a piece of furniture, you put something through a bandsaw and you get your fundamental shape and then your kind of masterwork is actually the sanding and finishing. So you're, you're putting together a system that sort of pre-cuts the pieces and that lets the teacher in person focus on kind of that mastery level because you've gotten people up to that fundamental level already. Yeah, well, well, as you know, with permaculture, you can refine it through. You can design it right away through all the climates and landscapes, and you don't get to cover it all. So you, yeah. you don't get into those fine details so much. But if everybody's already done uh, a, a well-taught online PDC, and, they, and they've gone through that initial process, and then you've got them, and you say, right, now let's take it to the next level. 
yeah. has taken to the real refined level now. And if you're um, if you're I a local teacher, if you're if you're a local teacher as well now, you have people coming to you, and you're, let's say you're in Michigan, you probably have most of your people from that kind of Great Lakes region are the people coming there. So now you can really drill down into how do you make this work here, because you don't have to worry about teaching drylands because though they've done that, they 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 have a fundamental understanding of that. Well, they have the confidence after the the main course that they say right, okay, now I can. I can think globally, but I could act locally anywhere on earth with the mainframe system. So I've got the mainframe. I can feel like a global citizen. I can think globally. I can act locally anywhere on earth if I have to. But I'm in Michigan. Now give me the real drill down now, right? Give me the finer details. I've got the mainframe. I know. I understand the whole out. Uh, basic was now give it to me and all the little details I need to take Michigan to the next level. Yeah. So that's that's where I see going, you know, um, and um, we're trying to ha- make that happen as quickly as possible. But now people people like really well done production. So you know when you're dealing with you know a, an international audience online, and that's what we have. All our courses here at Zaytuna have been international up until recent event but our online is more international so i have a an online course now that's running it's just started anybody can join anytime um and we have an uh, a facebook page inside that, that course so you have to be in the course to see it and oh my goodness this one we just released is really really international so i've i've said to everybody show us your project show us what you're doing introduce yourselves send give us some photos and that's entertainment in itself i'm shocked i'm shocked at how many people are out there and what they're doing right across the planet so and that's a great thing that sort of you, you go into this course you see these people and they're commenting saying wow i didn't know there was that much out there and that many people in that many countries that many locations doing so much work it makes me feel really confident we're, we're in a movement um, you know, we got a backup. We're, we're going, they're forming their own country groups and uh, they're forming their own professional identities. Um, and we just started. We just started like, you know, two weeks ago. So anybody wants to join us, jump on, you know, cause it's a, it's a, it's a very happening thing. It's a, it's a, it's a live community where you're, you're, you're in with an international crew that have already got some international engagement. And uh, they're very, very supportive. They're helping each other as as this online community. It's uh, it's really working. Very, very, very pleased with that result. And that's that's freed me up to do a few other things. I, I'm doing Q and A's every week. You get me live on Q and A. You get me live on Facebook and stuff like that. And I answer questions. I've got 12 TAs around the world, teachers assistants, who are incredible people, incredible people, amazing people. Quite a few of them are American. Um, they're supporting with uh, questions. Uh, last course, we answered 35,000 questions. And wow. we analyzed uh, the popular question up to the top 100. And we analyzed every question and put it into a six-page, thousand-page document. Um, and um, we can... Um, we can answer your questions in advance or you can talk straightly. Uh, you can communicate with a, with a TA. Uh, so we put an algorithm over that. If you ask a question, we can show you what, how it's been answered before. Um, 
yeah. So we just keep developing user-friendly software to make this thing go quicker. You know what the number one question is? What's that? Culture? <laughs> how do you deal? How do you deal with mosquitoes? Oh god! Put, oh, putting yeah. all the water in the. <laughs> You're a fisherman. I know you know the answer. Yeah, I, 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 you know what? I don't. I think I flipped out on that question so many times. I don't get it much anymore. I think people occasionally ask it, like, "Hey, you want to trigger Jack? Ask him about the mosquitoes and the swales." Because it's like, oh Lord God, I yeah that. It, it, Either the system infiltrates water and the water's not there long enough, or there's a fish in the system. And if there's a fish in the system, there's not a mosquito problem. I have, I, I, when we get offline, I'm going to actually, before you go, I'm going to send you a picture of, of a catfish out of one of my systems that's completely grown from food produced in the same system that feeds it. And, you know, we have these uh, gambrosia fish. They're, they're called mosquito yeah. fish. It, it's, it, 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 I, I I, you can tell it gets to me. Like I, I, I don't even understand this question, <laughs> right? Like a mosquito doesn't live in in a system full of fish. It live. It wants to live in a in a hoof print of a cow in the middle of a field, right? Or in yeah, an old it, an old tire, right? That's where it wants to live. It doesn't want to live in a pond full of gambrosias. Like it's dead. It's yeah. it's especially when it goes up to breathe. It's it's a it's a target. Then it's gone. Oh. <laughs> you know what? Number, you know what number two is? What, what's that? What's contour? Oh Lord, yeah, yeah. And, and because people are not embarrassed when they're asking questions, they'll ask every question they want to ask because they're just sitting by themselves on a computer. Well, I had people say, "How do you see those lines on the landscape that are on the map? I can't see any of those lines." Huh. 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 Yeah. Uh, uh, you wouldn't ask that with someone sat next to you. No. Uh, so, okay, so your level of understanding. And the other thing I've had is people say, I would not have taken this course if you told me I had to do mathematics. Hmm. And, and we've asked, like, what, what is the problem? Like, and they said, well, I, I just don't like maths. I don't listen to it. I never did. And I said, well, you've only got to work out area. Um, you know, it's like, you know, the side of the square or the side of the rectangle times the other side. I can't do that. I don't do that. It's like, you don't do basic mathematics. So I've now developed with the course, Jeff's version of the mathematics you need to know in permaculture. And it's simple. It's easy. It's not a math lesson because I had people try and tell me how to teach math. And oh my goodness, no wonder people don't understand math. <laughs> let me tell you how to do it real easy on the blackboard. And let me, and if you have any trouble, I'm going to help you do basic mass some people just reject mass i didn't know that yeah yeah i've always been like but some people just if you'd have told me i had to do any mass i would not have taken this course so really how do you you can't work out area of a square talk <laughs> about a triangle yeah okay like help you with this like and so i've tried to do it my way you know user friendly nice and easy uh, common language you know, easy illustrations. Um, I'm going to see how that goes. I mean, I never thought I'd be doing maths lessons, but here I am. I've done a whole series of um, maths lessons for people who need to design permaculture systems. How do you work out the area on your roof? You know, it's like, you can't do that? Okay, let me help you. It's, it's pretty simple <laughs> math. I, yeah. Um, I will say that, like, when I was in school, I remember at one point I was having some issues with in calculus. 
And I was also taking advanced accounting, and I was like acing accounting. And uh, my 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 uh, math teacher ended up talking to my accounting teacher, and my accounting teacher got with me and said, "Well, what's the problem? Like you're 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 one of the best I've ever seen at at doing this stuff. It's it's math. It's the same thing." And I'm like, I I really don't think it is. And what it came down to was like in calculus, we were figuring out things that didn't matter to me, like. Ah. what is X? I don't give a shit, right? And so my accounting teacher just said, pretend there's a dollar sign in front of all of it, right? Just just <laughs> so that it had something quantifiable. Like, I don't, it was that I just didn't care. But when it came to permaculture, like, you know, calculating roof catchment off of a roof, well, there was a reason. I think maybe a lot of people that have this aversion of math, they've never learned math with a practical application, right? Because, you know what I mean? Like, because quadratic equation, Okay, what am I going to do with it? Well, you're going to learn how to do it. Well, I don't care. But, like, if it's going to help me do something, and I think that's where a lot of people have this anti-math thing is, like, it's so etherical to them. It doesn't really matter. But if you give them a concrete application, I think that, oh, okay, now I know why I'm doing this. That's education, too, isn't it? That's why people learn permaculture, and they might not be academic. And yeah. they go, this means something to me. Okay, let's grab this. And they can grab it. You can grab it if it means something to you. And if actually it means your survival or your health, well, yeah. it's an important incentive. Yeah, and then you can explain, and like, why, why is your rain barrel stupid, right? Well, your rain barrel's stupid because you have enough catchment to catch, you know, 1,500 gallons of water per inch of rainfall, <laughs> and you have a 50-gallon rain barrel. So you, yeah. you, we need to expand your catchment or you're not really accomplishing anything, right? I mean... And that is education, like because if you just tell them the rain barrel is stupid, that doesn't help them. But if you explain no. the fact that okay, if you actually want to utilize this surplus resource, we need to expand it into a pond or poly tank or a tall tank or something or a cistern that actually can make use of it. Otherwise, you're just going to flood out your basement. You know? <laughs> yeah. So I, ha I have four, I have four. 24,000-gallon tanks at Zaytuna Farm. There you go. So you can and do, you can do something with that, right? I'm you know. <laughs> Sorry? I said you can do something with that, right? You know, that matters. Oh, we can, every bit of water we use can be can be high-quality rainwater. Uh, and, and, and now three more are going into the residence. Every residence is going to put one in. You know, eight more are going to go in. Well, seven more are going to go in. One house is already here. So, you know, uh, I, everybody's following our example who've come here. They said, why do you put such a huge uh, water tank in? I said, because I can, and I can <laughs> fill it. I can overfill it, actually, every, really? Oh, yeah. And this is the only, this is the size roof that will fill it, and your house is going to be bigger than that. Just imagine you've got surplus high-quality water. Now, what price? Put me a price on that. You can't. It's, uh, it's, there isn't. There isn't a no, price. No, no. And security is what it is. It's it's pure security. Like, okay, this is one of the primary five needs human beings have. It's done. It's over. It it I, I don't have to worry about that ever again. And and that makes your quality of life just go up. That that's what I've noticed. Yeah. Everything that I put in place that takes care of a need, okay, I don't have to worry about that anymore. You know, well what happens if they cut the, the economy takes a dump? I, I don't really care. I prefer that it didn't, but I, I my life's going to go on. And I think most people make bad decisions because they don't have that security in their life. And that improves your health because that's oh, what sure. you don't have. 
stress. Worries and stress. That 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 sinks your health and your immunity goes, and there we go. You go and you're on the immunity threat again. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> so let's let's get kind of wrapped up here. I've kept you a long time, Jeff. Um, what do you see happening in the world going down downrange here, and and where do you see yourself in it? Participant, renegade, both. Like, what's what's Jeff Lawton's role in the evolving, changing, weird ass world we live in? Couldn't be really sure. I mean, I, I just hope I can I can help inspire people go into action. I mean, I, I you know, I'm, I'm I'm ready to retire at any moment. <laughs> <laughs> I've got everything here for me, but uh, um, I'm 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 just hoping uh, I can I can give people inspiration. I'm really really keen about local community groups in local government areas. 19,000 local government areas in America, just 487 in Australia. Um, I, I'm, I'm very much involved in that. That's very local, small. Um, and, and I see that being changed. You know, I see that being able to change at a local level if enough was. And so I'm, I'm creating a startup kit for anybody to make those local community groups happen. I've got one that's 28 years old this year and still running strong. So, um, I've been off all over the world. I, I, I'm, I'm seeing myself less travel, more online, hopefully um, helping people get inspired doing that. Um, that's about it I can see for myself. And, and I, think, I, I think we're going to see a lot of action. Uh, I think we can see a lot, of, a lot of people coming forward and, and taking action, um, new systems being involved, uh, good Good, appropriate technology engaging. Um, and I, I think we're going to see a lot of earthworks. We're going to see some major earthwork projects happen worldwide. I mean, really major, really, really large landscape recovery. We know it's possible. It kind of screams, it kind of screams out for it, doesn't it? Like you look at these broad swaths of, of land that's in neglect and you're like, give me a scraper, just a freaking construction scraper. And I can transform this landscape. Yeah. You don't have to give me seed. Just let me go. Let me let me drive in that direction until I get to a point and I'll turn around and come back on another contour. There's so much that could be done so easily. And uh, I, 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 I kind of see like Renegade being something to go, like Renegade going mainstream. I think there's a fundamental reality that the state is aware of and they really try to suppress at all times. And that is no matter how totalitarian the state in the end Governance is by mass consent. There's there's more of us than there are of them, and there's a point where people get to where, you know, we're just not doing that. It makes me think of an old movie, Tombstone, right, where Wyatt Earp tells Sheriff Behan, I don't think I'm going to let you arrest us today. Like, there is that level. We started this on sedition. You kind of get back to that where people start to realize, like, okay, I have to take care of my family. I have to take care of the people around me. I'm more concerned about... The, the, the lady that lives next door than I am what somebody wants in Washington, D.C. I really am. And I think we're, we're kind of yeah. reaching a tipping point where the state's trying to hold this and more and more people are just going, no. I, and I, I'm seeing, like, I am politically apathetic. I don't care about the, the state and its systems. I run my own life. And I don't acknowledge the authority of government in my life. And I've been called crazy for that over the years. But I'm watching the number of people that feel that way swell. And it's not, you know, road warrior types that want to go take things. It's people that are like, I want to build a community. No. 
I want to build a community. And they're going, well, I'm not supposed to. Well, you know what? I'm going to do it anyway. And I think you get to a point where it's, again, back to Gandhi's march to the seat. The reason that was brilliant, are you really going to elect, arrest people walking in sandals to the ocean to collect water, to make salt, while well, the whole world watches? And boy, if you think of that time and the whole world watching, today, if you want to make the state look stupid, there's never been a better time. You can live stream the state being stupid to the four corners of the world while it happens. And the one thing that really seems to short-circuit that is when they look so stupid in what they're doing that they can't justify it anymore. And I think we're getting that tipping point where people are just like, well, we're going to retrofit this neighborhood, or we're going to set up this community, or I'm going to set up my chickens. We're not supposed to have I'm just going to do it anyway. And I don't think that will come with no opposition, but I think we're getting to a point where If enough people do it at the same time everywhere, how do you stop it? And I, I don't think you can because I think it's natural human behavior, really. Yeah, you can't police it. They set a law in Australia a few years ago. If you have more than 25 chickens, you've got to be registered with the egg marketing board. Oh, God. <laughs> Nobody paid any attention, and they can't, can't police it. It never got policed because it just – how are you going to do that? Because none of us are going to do that. And, in, and most of us have more than 25 chickens, so like, who's going to come around and count them? No, nobody ever got prosecuted, but the law still stands. <laughs> but you can make laws that don't that don't do anything. No, no. Like, yeah. I, I said they could they could pass the unicorn law, right? Everybody gets a unicorn, and when you have a wish, you 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 wish your unicorn comes, farts a rainbow, your guardian angel slides down the rainbow and grants you your wish. The government can pass that law. They can sign. It doesn't matter. It's you can you pass a law that says gravity doesn't affect people anymore, and if you step out of a window, you're still going to fall to your death, right? Laws are governance by consent to a large degree. I, one of your fellow uh, Australians, Byron Joel, I was talking to him one day, and he was saying about how they out, basically outlawed bananas where he was, and he said like it's almost like a clandestine thing. Like, hey, you got any bananas? Like, you know, and like people are still growing bananas. They're not going to stop growing bananas. I, I, I think that we are reaching that limit. I, I really do. Yeah, yeah. We need to expose it. We need to say, well, this we're, we're just going to do these things anyway. Yeah. So, and Jeff, there's a way all around. So I've had you almost two hours, so let me let me let you get, because I know you've got a busy day, and your day's just starting. Mine's about to end. Um, just for people out there that maybe are new to you, where can they learn more? You've got a course going on. Where can people go find out more? And I'll make sure there's links in the show notes for you as well. Okay, Jeff Lawton Online is where most of my stuff happens uh, nowadays. And from there, you can find other links. Of course, we're on Facebook and we have uh, multiple websites. But uh, if you're just looking up Jeff Lawton Online, um, you'll see all our free stuff and where we have online courses running and things like that. So that's the best, that's the best link. And is there anything else that you want to – get out before I let you go because, you know, I, I want to make sure that you, you get every chance in the world to say anything you want to say while you're here. Well, nothing particularly. Just make sure that you're having fun. And <laughs> um, yeah, that's what it's about. You know, if you're not having fun, you've got the design wrong. I, I think I would agree with that. I, I appreciate you being with us today. Yeah, it's been great fun. Good chat. Thank you very much, Jack. Always enjoy it. Well, as always, great interview with Jeff. Jeff's just an awesome guy. I, uh, 
I have to tell you, the first time I heard Jeff referred to me as a contemporary, I was uh, I was kind of blown away. I don't know that that's actually an accurate assertion, but uh, really, I mean, I uh, I've worked really hard to become the best educator I can overall, and certainly have made permaculture a big part of that and permaculture thinking a big part of that. But I have to say here after that interview, just let some of y'all know that maybe don't know. Had it not been for Jeff Lawton, I don't know that I would have ever discovered permaculture. It was the original Greening the Desert uh, video, a little short video, terribly produced, that when I saw what had actually been done in the Jordanian desert, I realized I had no excuses for the things I thought were difficult to overcome in north-central Texas. And uh, it, it really made me grab on that. And Bill Mollison's In Grave Danger of Failing Food when he said I could either run off to the woods or I could come back and fight the bastards and not let the bastards run all over everything, I realized right away that permaculture wasn't some purple-breathing hippie thing. It was something that was really a warrior-based design science. And uh, Jeff is a huge part of why um, why I am such an advocate of it today. And I think that interview you just heard explains that at even a higher level. With that, let me remind you guys, if you like this show and the work that we do, you can always help support us by doing your online shopping at tspaz.com. That's T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. Uh, you're probably going to buy some stuff online this week, next week, or sometime this month or next month, somewhere, and you're going to do that. So all you got to do is you do your online shopping at tspaz.com, and no matter what you buy, you help support us and the work that we do. Today's item of the day is the Turkish-made folding, harvesting, and pruning knife. I brought this around today because it's it's in stock again. Every time I, I, I run this thing, they seem to run out of stock within a day or two. Uh, I don't know exactly how many they bring in per importation or something, but this is directly imported from Turkey. It's sold by a vendor called Glittering Bazaar on Amazon, and it is literally, in my experience, the only source of this tool, the only source of this tool, that is available in the United States. I have not found this tool available or anything really like it. Basically, it folds up like a giant folding knife. It's got serrated edges that are designed to cut primarily on a backstroke. It is used in Turkey for pruning grapes and berry bushes, but it is the best garden sickle that I've found. It's like a rice knife, but better, and it folds up so you can stick it in your pocket without cutting your hand when you reach down for it. And I've never found a good sheath for a rice knife. Up until I found this, the rice knife was my go-to for you know, doing light pruning of plants, uh, just pruning weeds that you don't want to pull up or whatever. You just want to cut them out for precision, uh, cutting grain stalks, etc. It was always a rice knife because if you hack at something, right, and you miss and hit your finger, you cut your finger or you cut your finger off or you, you damage yourself really bad, where if you lay a blade on something and you have to drag it to cut, you're less likely to cut yourself. And if you start to cut yourself, you'll feel it, and you'll hopefully stop. I mean, unless you're special, you'll stop. The other thing is when you're chopping, if you miss and you chop something you didn't mean to chop, whoops, it's a much better precision tool, and I don't lose it. It also kind of decorates up really nice. It's a very plain unfinished wood handle and a, a, a carbon steel blade of some sort. But the carbon steel blade takes like perma blue from Birchwood Casey really, really well. And I took one that I bartered at the, the barter blind here. I stained it with a walnut stain. I coated the handle with uh, Birchwood Casey's True Oil, which is a, a gunstock finish uh, coat. A couple coats of that. Gave it a light sand to make it like a satin finish. 
blued the blade and, and put a little beeswax on it to protect it. And, man, it really spiffed it up into something really nice. Um, I bet these things in Turkey sell for about five bucks. They're 20 bucks here. But again, there's one source. And other than my garden trowel, which by the way, I own the AM Leonard garden trowel. If you want to buy one garden trowel and stop buying a new one every year or two, get the AM Leonard one. It costs twice as much and it's worth four times as much. Um, that and this are the two, like 90% of what I do in a garden, those are the two tools that I use. So check that thing out and remember, no matter what you buy, you can help support us by doing your online shopping where? T-Spaz, T-Spaz, T-Spaz.com. How can you forget it? T-Spaz.com. If it's there, I own it, I use it, uh, I spent my money on it, I'd do it again, or I wouldn't recommend that you do so. Also, you can become a member of the MSB, the Members Support Brigade, where your discounts will more than pay for your membership. All you got to do is go to the survivalpodcast.com, click on Members to learn more. And yes, somebody asked recently, I still do a discount. Uh, first responders, EMS, firefighters, police officers, military personnel, All of that, uh, Peace Corps workers even I include in this, I do a service discount. If you want that discount before you sign up, not after, right, before, email me, jack at the survivalpodcast.com. Put TSPC service discount in the subject line. One or two sentences tell me about your service. I don't need a CV or an ID or anything like that, you know. Um, don't need a book written about it. And I will email you a discount code uh, so that you can get that discount off the membership, which is already a great deal. With that, let's talk about our song of the day today. Song of the day today is Lost Highway, which was the same name of the song we were supposed to have yesterday, but I skipped it and I went with something else. This is a more of a modern version of, of, of the title, and it's a totally different song. It's by Bon Jovi, which is probably why John Adam put the Hank Williams Sr. version for yesterday, just so we'd have two songs of the same name, totally different. Um, I, I did not want to play the Hank Williams song. I, I like Hank on some things, but on other things, just too twangy. So I played you some Ronnie Millsap yesterday. Um, today, I've got Lost Highway by Bon Jovi. And this is, you know, relatively new Bon Jovi because, I mean, a lot of us, come on, we were listening to Bon Jovi on, on cassette tapes in cars and, and driving around and, you know, hanging out and, and stuff like that back in, like, early 80s, right? So, yeah, this is, this is fairly new uh, on the Bon Jovi uh, list of music. What this song's really about, though, to me anyway, is how we get clarity and perspective sometimes by just getting out on the road. But it's not just the being on the road. It's actually separating ourselves from the place where we're, we've become myopic or we've become overly rooted in something, uh, where we're kind of in a rut or whatever. It, there's a line in this, something to the effect of, my future gets clearer the more I see it in the mirror, something like that. It, it being the further I get away from this place where I'm stuck, the more I understand what I should be doing. And I think there is an incredible freedom and getting out on the road and just going somewhere. Sometimes it's not even anywhere big. It's just, you know, maybe it's just taking a, a drive for a few hours and coming right back home. There is something freeing about that. And I wonder as we move into this world of, you know, autonomous vehicles and all, and that is coming. Those of you that don't think it is, it's coming. Will we lose that? I don't think we're going to lose it right away. But I wonder if, like, my grandchildren will really know when they're my age the freedom that there is being behind the wheel with the windows down and just going. Where you're in control. Because admit it, even if you have a road trip and, and, and you enjoy it, if someone else is driving, it's not quite the same as being behind the wheel. With that, it's been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. In my rearview mirror, my life is getting clearer. The sunset's eyes and slowly disappear. 
got the keys, farewell to mediocrity. Kicking off the cruise control and turning up the radio. Got just a 